Frederick Nietzsche was out on a walk. Sounds like the beginning of a joke. Frederick Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche was out on a walk in the mountains above a small village somewhere in Switzerland. And he had already reached a level of fame where his reputation preceded him and some of the local nuns happened to pass by him while he was out on one of his hikes. He liked to go on these vigorous hikes through the mountains. And as the nuns passed him on the trail and he passed them, they stopped and talked. And they said, oh, we've heard of you. We've heard of you. We've heard you've written books. And they said, out of the books you've written, which one do you recommend? If there's one that you recommend that we read, which one? And Friedrich Nietzsche stopped for a moment and paused and considered. And his answer was that, don't read my books. Don't read my books. None of my books are for you. I was reminded of that today with uh, my podcast creations. <laughs> you know, uh, they're not for everybody. And uh, I think it actually seems like a funny moment that that was the answer that Friedrich Nietzsche chose to give that group of nuns. Uh, I shared, you know, okay, so just to get personal, uh, I was asked to see or be part of a yoga retreat. And as part of that trade, I guess you'd call it a trade to be part of a yoga retreat, uh, I was asked to drive this shuttle van, which is pretty much exactly the same size as my bus. Uh, and I think it was a Ford, kind of like a Mercedes Sprinter, you know, kind of thing, but it was a Ford. And I think it was a really fancy Ford Transit, you know, modern, fast, leather seats. And I was asked to shuffle the uh, guests of that retreat, you know, to and from this little amphitheater where they were practicing yoga. And uh, that was about, uh, well, uh, was it, how long ago was that? That was last uh, October. And my podcasts are definitely not for everyone and I have shared a few of my podcasts with the members of that retreat. Now, when I met them, I was just a stranger. Most of them were strangers from each other and uh you know, creations. There's 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 this uh I think it's it takes a bit of vulnerability to share your creations with others. And uh, especially if you are um, 
going straight to the nerve. Mm -hmm. Which maybe uh, I have a knack of doing or a... Uh, um, Maybe it's just part of my fate and destiny. That's what I do. Uh, my friend Jeff Fisher, who teaches uh, primitive skills, wilderness survival, martial arts, those kind of things. He one time said that I'm, I'm the guy that is going to say the thing that needs to be said that nobody wants to say. And he says he has seen me do that in situations multiple times, you know, where, you know... I could give you examples of those, but maybe you, you can relate with times in your life where, um, you know, something needs to be said and it's uncomfortable to say it. But Jeff pointed out that I'm the guy that does that, that like, and he, he said it as a compliment. And um, I appreciate his compliment because I think that Jeff is one of my favorite people that I've had a great fortune to have been a friend He's younger than me, but he's been a teacher. He's taught me a lot about fishing and hunting. I think he's an amazing friend and dad. I think out of all the people I know, he understands tribe more than most, more than maybe anybody I know. Uh, he's, he, I think he's one person that is actively taking the steps to try to build tribe for the future. And I think he understands the challenges and the, the importance and the, some of the things people never really talk about with building tribe, you know. Um, one day my feelings were really hurt. He said something that hurt my feelings and I don't really need to go into that story, but I didn't want it to sit there and fester for too long. But I also didn't want to talk about it because... When the incident happened, we were driving home from fishing and it was one in the morning and my feelings were hurt and it was late and we were tired and we were hungry. And so I was like, I'm not going to address this right now. But the next day, maybe 11 a.m., he approached me. Uh, we're on a big, big, you know, 12 acre uh, ranch, kind of like a big, some acreage. He walked across the ranch and we met midway and and I said, hey, man, can I talk to you about something that's a little uncomfortable for me? Share some, some, something that's not easy to talk about. And told him about my hurt feelings. And when I expressed that emotion, E means outward moving motion. When I expressed those outward moving feelings, uh, I could see that they kind of went inside him, echoed around a bit. And I could see that his first reaction or his response or reaction somewhere in there was uh, it, his, his reaction started becoming angry, which I'm old enough and I think wise enough at this point in my life to have uh, preluded that possibility as a likely option of uh, how someone might react because, you know, just it's almost like just straight, simple physics. You know, I expressed emotion, outward moving motion, which then is going to reverberate and come right back at me, you know? So, uh, you know, I just, I was expecting it. So I just stood there and relaxed and breathed and 
and then I could feel myself become more emotional, <laughs> you know, and and then I think I could see him become more emotional. And to make a long story short, I told him that ultimately my feelings were hurt because he started asking me, I really want to know why, like, what's the deeper reason? And I said, it's easy. The deeper reason's easy. I said, it has to do with my, uh, my desire, my want, my need to be part of the tribe, to not be or feel excluded. Um, he took that in. He sat with it for a minute. We were standing there, but I could see that he was like, you know, digesting what I just said. And, and then he started getting emotional. And then he started telling me about a thing in his recent past that's unresolved where he realized that he had some unprocessed, unresolved things with a friend that he was afraid to bring that same thing up with. And it was a friend he mentioned where they used to have like a a wilderness school that they started together, but then it was on that friend's land. And then, you know, it's that friend's land. So then it got into the sort of egoic thing of like, this is my school. This is my land. You're just a teacher here. But it started on equal ground with that kind of utopian, we're all in this together. And then it became mine, mine, mine. And so he stopped and he talked to me for a bit and and he got emotional and tears came to his eyes, which I don't know if I've ever seen tears come to his eyes. And he said, you made me realize that I need to talk to so-and-so about this. He says, I've never talked with him about it, but he says, I have a lot of anger about it. And, um, and he says, I've, I've been avoiding uh, that person and confused about that person. And when we interact, it's like, it's like the elephant in the room, you know. So he was like, you made me realize that I need to go talk to him and I need to do it soon and I need to, you know, try to resolve this. And, and um, it's funny to tell the story because for both of us, all these emotions came up, you know. And then this conversation of tribe followed suit that I really should interview him about because it only made me more emotional, you know. He was talking about like actual tribe, you know, like you would never feel alone if you actually have tribe, you know. Um, But then he talked about like a lot of the things people aren't willing to do, you know. Like he, he, he talked directly and abstractly right to me of the things like, are you willing to, you know, sacrifice everything for the tribe? Are you willing to dig in roots and be here? You know, you know, and root in and be here, you know, and he got emotional about me leaving, you know, in the, in the near future, you know, and I'm not there right now. Um, so I make these little podcast creations and I shared one on this group chat with the folks from that uh, yoga retreat 
and it's a podcast I did yesterday, which is about uh, don't ever have a delusional belief system in authority. That authority is the root of all violence. So I shared that podcast on the group chat with the fellow yogis. The fellow people that went to the yoga retreat. Now, in a sense, we're all strangers with each other. And and a few of those fellow yogis at the retreat have graced me with their friendship. With the feeling of something tribal. Something... uh, relation relational uh you know mutually appreciative reciprocal and i think in this last two years some of my podcasts mention things like the vax supremacy or the seductiveness of politics you know the evil of joseph biden you know like Like, we can't really just talk about that, you know? We can't talk about what and who Joseph Biden was with the lead-up to the Iraq war. We can't look at that actual behavior. We have to either ignore it or rationalize it. We can't look at Trump launching Operation Warp Speed, which gave corporations more control over us. And when I say corporations more control of us, it's all the things Edward Snowden has been warning us for since he was a courageous whistleblower back in 2013 saying this stuff that nobody wants to say being the one that's willing to take one for the team and say the things that need to be said that no one's saying and edward snowden has been trying to warn us about the increasing privatization of the security state when it's enmeshed with the power of the government which has a monopoly on violence and so we can't talk about things like donald trump launching Operation Warp Speed and speeding up that, uh, you know, speeding up the warp speeding, the surveillance state, the bio war, bio warfare industry. Uh, There's so many things that just need to be talked about. And I think the one thing that that just rubs me wrong in the quote-unquote yoga community is that you know there's someone like Vandana Shiva out there have you guys ever listened to Vandana Shiva she's a wise Indian we might call her a yogi you know she got that big old dot painted on her forehead and she's a scholar she was scholarly schooled at Harvard and she's very very knowledgeable about farming and soils and knowledgeable about grassroots up she knows about the soils and the microorganisms and the nutrients in the plants and how to grow perfect healthy uh, farms that also wind up increasing the water in the aquifer aquifers and reservoirs and she speaks uh profoundly and deeply and passionately and courageously and intelligently and scholarly on uh, food and water being life and then she's also very scholarly on all of the um, 
the whole network of authority that is the root of violence. You know, Bill Gates, the Rockefellers, you know, and, and hearing her speak about it, you can't, you can't just remain appallingly silent. Because your appalling silence is, it's no different than the appalling silence that we used to abstractly talk about and wonder about what it was like when people were being sent to concentration camps in Germany. Like, oh, how come the community and neighbors didn't do anything and stand up and say anything? How come they just, it's the same thing. The appalling silence. And there's a there's obviously thousands of years of yogic lineage. And there's all sorts of different takes on that practice, the practice of yoga. And one of the major reasons a person practices yoga is to use their voice. And it makes sense. I mean, our voice is the thing that separates us from all the voiceless, you know. The, not just the voiceless of bioorganisms and animals and dolphins and monkeys and cheetahs and zebras and bats and birds and butterflies and bumblebees. Not just the silence of that. The trees, the grasses. the rocks, the water, not just the voiceless of that, but the voiceless of people who are incarcerated, innocent people who are spending their life in prison, uh, nonviolent people who are spending their life in prison, the voiceless of them, the voiceless of, uh, you know, last night I was talking to a friend of mine who was mentioning a young girl in Australia who committed suicide during lockdowns. And then when he started looking into it, because it was one of his friend's daughters that uh, there were he just started seeing all the multiple suicide attempts of these like young girls during lockdown and young boys and so there's the voiceless of all the the youth that don't even have the words and and you know our appalling silence to only further silence them with masks goggles gloves you know to take away their sight touch breath the further masking the further silencing so our appalling silence about that and this is no, no different than what I was noticing in the yoga community years ago. You know, if you went to a yoga studio, it was Lexus, uh, there were Lexuses and Mercedes and BMWs and Range Rovers, you know, all in the parking lot. And I'd ride my little bicycle f- miles and miles to get there. And, you know, back in the day, I was like very militant against petrochemicals and car exhaust and, and how those things were wreaking havoc on on uh, everyone's lungs and 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 you know forget about the whole um uh you know like like we don't even want to look about that or talk about that and so now we're at this point of uh crisis and emergency because we ignored that one for decades uh we denied and ignored that one which you know it's just denial and ignorance that led to all the people being in concentration camps and allowing that to happen to citizens and neighbors and friends and and uh and then there's a denial to pretend that the past didn't go anywhere like that past is the roots of the tree and um and so many similarities are going on. And these are the things Edward Snowden and Julian Assange have been warning about, you know, and then there's the real awkward conversations about things like child trafficking, 
you know, for organ harvesting. And like, these are very real things. It doesn't take that much of a deep dive to see that these are very real things that scholars and activists are trying to scream about to wake us up. Because when you talk to the scholars and the detectives and the the criminal investigators that are, say, trying to eradicate, uh, you know, organ harvesting from child kidnapping, that it's like a massive, massive industry. Uh, it's, it's like the most, you know, valuable black market industry. The ones that are trying to get us citizens involved and awake and aware and, and, and um, to end this freaking nightmare that's going on for like so many people, family, not just the children, but imagine like having your child or children kidnapped you know, and, and losing them for kidnapping. Like we're talking about the voice of the voiceless for all these things. And when you go through a massive trauma in your life, you don't have the voice. When the cortisol releases from your, uh, endorphin system, when your nervous system triggers your, when your nervous system jolts your endocrine system to release a tidal wave of cortisol that tidal wave of of cortisol literally gives you brain damage and part of the brain damage it gives you makes it so you cannot talk about the shit that just happened it's like an etch-a-sketch so you know if someone had their children kidnapped within that overarching black market industry that's actually like it's like the Super Bowl, you know? Some of these black market industries, they are as big of a network as the National Football League. They're, they, they're like huge networks. And when you listen to scholars who've been researching this and working with detectives and, and when you listen to interviews with them, the one, one thing they say is that all of this continues on unabated because everyone doesn't want to look at it, you know? So the people in the trauma can't talk about it. And then the appalling silence from all the good people who are still masking their kids. And then they're silent when they walk by like a parent who's masking their kid in the grocery store. And it's almost like if you saw someone just physically abusing a child in the grocery store that you would just walk by in silence. It's the same thing, you know. It's just much more... um, It's like overt abuse compared to covert abuse, you know, but it's not, it's not covert. It's just, it's just a comparison. It's not covert at all. It's just abuse. And then there's something very freaky, like a codependent spouse who rationalized the uh, bad behavior of her partner, or he rationalized the bad behavior of his partner. It's like the codependent spouse where either through just denial or rationalization, or what you hear people say is, I don't want to talk about it. And, and to me, what's surprising about not getting feedback from, say, the podcasts that I share with that yoga community is, even when I see friends who I disagree with say something on Instagram or Facebook, I've said this for years, like, it's interesting that, like, seems like the majority of people won't even hit a like or a thumbs up. And it's funny that, you know, they gave us this like and this thumbs up button and we could look at it positive, positively or negatively, problematically or beneficially. But just to look at it without judgment, there is this like button. There is this heart. You know, if, if one of my friends 
creates music and I don't really like his music. I like the fact that he's creating and making music, you know? There's a lot of reasons to celebrate creativity. Even if it bothers you, hurts you, hurts your feelings, you don't like it. It's creativity, you know? And it says a lot, the appalling silence of the ones that uh, really don't understand tribe. Because I think something Jeff talked about, and I'll have to interview him about it, is, you know... There's a lot that comes up in tribe that is about, uh, you know, deeply listening to each person in the tribe and supporting each person, you know, listening to them, supporting them, hearing them, uh, finding common ground with them, those kind of things. It's just the appalling silence. So it's just more of the same, you know. Um, so guys like Edward Snowden, you know, he's living there in Russia, uh, Exile Julian Assange. I don't even know if Julian Assange did he die recently? Is he still even alive? He's been uh, in basically like prison for the last you know decade or more, uh, except it's been like in a hotel room type prison. Um, you know, and he's having kidney failure and he's experiencing all of the emotional, uh, physical, nervous system, endocrine system damage from just being silenced. And being isolated, where he can't be with friends and loved ones and stuff. Um, I think my biggest critique of like the quote-unquote yoga community is it just seems so um, so selfish. You know, like what? What? I don't get it. But then there's some within that that I feel really fortunate to have met. But I think by and large, the overarching community is. Um, I think kind of wants to remain in like a toxic positivity, you know, and deny the reality of um, the necessity of standing one's ground and learning to use one's voice in defense of the innocent and voiceless and to really step it up as like an elder who actually uh, is looking out, you know, not just for the younger innocent ones, but for the ones that are um, speaking up, you know, creating, making things. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know how, how else to sort of put that. Um, uh, I think if I were to wrap this up, you know, I, I guess I would ask questions about... Uh, One, one of the questions I want to talk about is patterns, patterns, pattern recognition, pattern recognition, uh, seems important and, uh, it's interesting that when we talk about things like the surveillance state and like facial recognition, you know, the recognition of how people walk, vocal recognition, all this like AI for pattern recognition. Um, it seems that the more advanced our uh, technology computers get, the dumber and slower our own minds get. Um, uh, there is a medicine man who I, uh, his name is not coming to my mind right now I studied under him years ago and 
he talked a lot about pattern recognition and the importance of pattern recognition. And he, he traveled throughout India learning all of the folk medicines from all the like grandmothers. And he did that for about 10 years. He's considered it a, a Ayurvedic doctor, but he didn't go to the, you know, Ayurvedic doctor institution. He did it the way that I think is much more doctorly. He hiked all around India for 10 years and interviewed all the grandmas. Hey, can you tell me about the plants and fauna and recipes and medicines and what your people and village and what did your grandmother teach you? And he compiled, um, he compiled all sorts of things. He discovered things that scientists hadn't discovered yet, like this plant called kutki, that it's the only known plant in the world can, that can regrow a human liver. It tastes real acrid. I have some of it. Kutki, K-U-T-K-I, Kutki, I think is how it's spelled. Um, and uh, he talked a lot about pattern recognition, you know, that that he was talking about just like walking around the hills and looking at plants and flowers and and medicines and that, you know, you start connecting all these dots because of the pattern recognition. And, you know, he he left us as students with sort of a task that kind of begged us, hey guys, you, you really have to, you have to keep learning and learning and learning and really get into that river of learning so that there's pattern recognition. Because the pattern recognition, like once you learn a lot about this thing, then you see patterns in this thing. And I think this is what made a lot of our people in the past, what we called Renaissance men or jack of all trades. Or I think it's because, you know, I was watching a documentary about Wayne White. I think it's called Beauty is Embarrassing. It's free on YouTube. Look it up. Wayne White. Beauty is Embarrassing. It's a beautiful document documentary. But Wayne White's kind of an example of that. He's an amazing artist. You know, he plays the banjo. He's a sculptor. Um, I think, you know, when someone starts starts diving into something and they learn and do it really well and become an expert at it, then some of the same patterns exist in the next thing and the next thing, you know, like Miles Davis was an amazing painter, you know, and when he was interviewed about uh, his music, he talked a lot about how painting taught his music, that he understood layers. Um, so it's a little bit emotionally layered, outward moving motion, outward moving feelings where, um, the appalling silence from the majority of the good people, even just to a friend, you know, even just to a guy they know who was driving them around in a shuttle van. And I know their lives are busy and I'm not expecting, uh, I'm not expecting anything. I'm not blaming them. I'm personally talking about my own, just like Jeff was saying, just my own thing of like, what's coming up for you? Like, why does that bother you? Um, you know, and I think a lot of it just has to do with the way I grew up and the way I wanted wanted tribe or wanted the stability of a bigger uh, network. And, you know, um, sometimes I've mentioned, you know, some of the difficulties of my childhood where like my little brother and I, uh, where my little brother and I spent some of our childhood in and out of, you know, shelters for abused women and that some of our uh, some of our upbringing, honestly, 
I would compare it to the movie The Shining with Jack Nicholson, and I'm not kidding about that. Like, some of our upbringing was that kind of scary. Um, that's really the closest way I can ever describe what much of my childhood was like. It was like that movie. And not all of it, but from, you know, from the time I was like, especially from nine years old until 17 years old, especially those years. So picture watching that movie for, uh, uh, you know, eight years. Picture watching that movie for eight years, but it's your, it's eight years of your life, you know? Um, so little Danny in there, who's like red rom, red rom, you know, or, or Jack Nicholson's wife in there. And even Jack Nicholson himself, the one thing that might've made that movie, not a horror film was if it was a, a tribe, you know, it's, it's the isolation that's, uh, devastating and brutal, you know? So it's funny that some people won't even give just a thumbs up, you know? And I've talked to other creators about this who are like extremely talented, who say, you know, even their own family members don't ever even mention, Hey, I like your music, you know? Uh, so I know this isn't, this isn't, rare this is maybe the commonality so in that there's a big tribe um but gosh guys like we've really entered this whole weird new thing where all the fear-mongering worked and if you haven't studied things like stalin tasking pavlov back in the day if if it was possible to create a society of people without empathy here we are we got a lot of mimicry, not a lot of empathy. And the very, very rare ones out there, thank God that the rare ones have empathy. You know? Um, empathy means in feeling. In feeling. So the rare ones have this ability to uh, have an in feeling. And, oh man, I have met some along this journey. I haven't met a lot of people on this journey. I've been living very, very kind of isolated on the fringes of society, but uh, Sean Corbin, Gene Corbin, Finley, Cleo, if you guys are listening, I mean, you're, you know, this family over there in uh, Oregon met me on the Columbia Gorge and invited me to their home and brought me into their tribe, you know, and it's just like, whoa, whoa, you know, like, talk about uh, a bright star in the darkness, you know, that Corbin family, but it's empathy, it's like, it's like, Sean Corbin, if you're listening, you know, this, it's like, you know, that guy, here's a thing I want to quickly talk about regarding pattern recognition, because science just finally figured out what everyone's known for millions and millions that we just forgot, is that, uh, Neurobiologists have proved that you see with your feeling before you see with your eyes, you know? So if you're out on a walk and you see a palm tree or you're out on a walk and you see a boulder shaped like an egg or you're out on a walk and you see an American flag or you're out on a walk and you see a, a cool little chipmunk hiding under a rock, um, Neurobiologists have proved through science that you can learn about this in Robert Sapolsky's book called Behave. 
I'm not a big fan of Robert Sapolsky's. I appreciate him. I'm definitely not a fanboy. I would say I'm more critical of him than I am uh, accepting of him. And at the same time, uh, that book, Behave, I think is one to add to your collection. Uh, but it's not really a page turner, you know. Uh, it, it could be, but it, I wouldn't say it's a page turner. It's just something where there's some really, really amazing scientific studies in there. One of them is, is him talking about this, this thing where we see with our heart before we see with our eyes. And Jeff Fisher, who I mentioned, I've talked about it in, in other podcasts, but right after I read that in the book Behave, uh, this was a few years ago, Jeff took me out to hunt for morels, which are sort of like wild mushrooms. And he also took me out hunting for wild asparagus. And so I just read that thing about how you see with your heart and then you see with your eyes. And short story was while we were hunting for wild morels and, and, and they really blend in, they're not easy to find. And the wild asparagus, it's almost as if I could turn my sight off because I started just seeing these wild harvestables with my heart. And then I would look over and my eyes would confirm what my heart saw. Uh, and sometimes it was completely invisible, you know, where there would be leaves where the, the physical sight line of the morels was impossible, you know, where once you cleared the dead leaves away, then you saw them. So sometimes it was the heart knew even when the physical sight didn't and that's kind of what i'm talking about pattern recognition there was something else i just wanted to say that i was reminded of with that oh i wanted to talk about a workshop that my younger brother did that i had the fortune of attending maybe back in 2009 or something like that but the workshop was much of it's blindfolded and holy cow you guys there are so many things I would love to talk about where we were blindfolded in this workshop where, for instance, it's kind of a big uh, open room like a yoga studio with, with little um, cubby holes for shoes and you know hangers for jackets and chairs and benches and bookshelf and windowsill and bathroom and coat closet and things like that. Within that space, uh, there were maybe nine of us there blindfolded and uh, someone previously hid three rocks, just three rocks. One might be the size of a golf ball, one might be the size of your thumb, and one might be the size of half of your fist. Three rocks hidden around the room, but we're blindfolded. And one of the tasks was to find those rocks. And some people had a very rational approach to it, like slide around on the floor like a big water spider with their arms and legs spread out trying to feel for it. Uh, and I'd say the first two rocks were found through a rational uh, approach of just a mechanized, almost like a mechanized algorithm, just people like feeling until they found it, found two rocks. And then the third rock, nobody could find. Long story short, people after minutes, 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 maybe 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes are starting to get pretty frustrated because there's one more rock that nobody can find. And now it's starting to get frustrating. And my brother, as the teacher, was like, guys, like, you really have to kind of go non, non-rational with this one. Like, really feel it and use your inner vision. And at one point, I just gave up, sat, leaned against the wall. And I know, I know from reading and studying that these things are possible. But it, knowing, knowing and having knowledge is different from truth. So 
I sat and leaned back against the wall and I just tried to go deep inside in a non-rational way. And almost instantaneously, I got this image that I would say was almost like a negative image of a photograph where the rock appeared and I saw it clearly, but with my inner vision, I was blindfolded. I just saw this like, it's almost like the negative of a photograph. And I'm not saying this is how it would be for you. This is just what happened to me. So I started crawling towards where I knew in my heart that my heart was seeing. So I started crawling towards it and I reached out to touch it and grab it. Well, my little brother, my brother leading this workshop right in the last moment threw a yoga mat out in front of me. And so as I was reaching out to touch it, I took a couple more steps. I was crawling on my hands and knees, but I, I felt the yoga mat. But early during the workshop, there was only one yoga mat on the floor. I don't know if he did this on purpose, but there was one yoga mat on the floor and it was on the other side of the room. So when he threw that yoga mat out in front of me, my whole perspective flipped upside down or backwards. All of a sudden my brain thought I was on the other side of the room and I all of a sudden was massively disoriented to the point of like kind of almost sick to my stomach that I had the whole room wrong. And I was like, how did that happen? You know, northeast, southwest, all of a sudden was the opposite. So out of frustration, I just took my blindfold off and my brother was standing there smiling and laughing at me because he, he knew I was about to touch the rock and he just tried to mess with me. And it did mess with me. And, uh, but my point was that in the most non-rational way, I saw that rock before my eyes saw it. It's like I saw it with my heart or my feelings but feelings aren't just like always sensical. You know, they're not necessarily like, like, it's like I felt it, but I saw it and it's hard to explain. The only way I can explain it was like an image in a negative photograph. And then there's sort of like a checking in, like, is that, is that real? And then there was almost a second conversation of like, yes, you know, but it's sort of like catching a fish. It was almost like, um, like, a sensitivity there like when you catch a trout you know it's like a sensitivity to like is that real is there a fish on the line is that rock right there and you know you kind of almost in disbelief want to talk yourself out of it because it doesn't make any rational sense um so oftentimes i think part of the pattern recognition is maybe recognizing the pattern of of um listening you know but listening isn't just with the ears it's just it's just giving something full attention and really listening and within that deep listening you know a bit of a a bit of um maybe a bit of request to actually listen to me. And if you have some kind of abundance, share it, you know, share it. Be one of the courageous ones to share it and, and help build a tribe, even if it seems illogical or counterintuitive, you know. And that's not like a plea for money. Money is helpful right now to me, you know. If you have it, I don't. I don't have, I don't have it, I hope to. 
I feel miles and miles, I feel thousands of miles away from my dream. I know what I want, you know. I know what I want to create, but to create it, you got to have tickets to play, and the tickets to play in this game called life for the dinero, the money. A lot of people have the tickets. You know, a lot of people have a lot of the tickets. A lot of people are born in the tickets to play. Um, all of the above, I wasn't, and so, you know, uh, zero plus zero for most of my life has been zero. It's just just the very few ones out there who who listen. Wow, wow, thank you. And the ones that are unwilling to even give a thumbs up, man, you know, um, it is what it is. And I'm sure you listeners can relate to that same thing in your life, you know, where, uh, the isolation is, um, is real and we know what it does to people look at look at julian assange you know um as just an example recently but that's what the last two and a half years were the ones of you that didn't uh have the carpet pulled out from under you many of us did and um and i think the ones that didn't have the carpet pulled out from under them really maybe never have you know, because it's, it's interesting that the empathy, so we live in a culture of mimicry. A lot of people can mimic, you know, they can pick up and go to a yoga retreat because they got a lot of tickets to play, you know, they can mimic that. Um, and then some of their friendship, when you know them or run into them, it's almost like, uh, mimicry. It's hard. It's hard to suss out the reality, the authentic from the flattery and the mimicry. Because we've all been conditioned to have like etiquette, you know. I recently did a podcast on Diogenes, Diogenes, and I did one uh, that was specifically about Friedrich Nietzsche and how Friedrich Nietzsche was inspired by a Diogenes. And Diogenes really represented a person who was like so frustrated at at people in in his town and village and throughout uh, Southern Europe at the time was that. He just felt like all of the etiquette that people showed in public was just fake, you know, was just fake. So he kind of was a wild man and wound up living in the streets with these dogs and um, look up Diogenes quotes sometimes. Just sometimes type in Diogenes, Um, type in Diogenes quotes. If you want some good quotes for some memes, like let's say you like creating memes on your Instagram or Facebook or whatever, look up Diogenes. The guy had just some baller quotes. Like if he was alive today, his memes would be hilarious. But uh, Friedrich Nietzsche was really inspired by Diogenes. And so this podcast started off with the story about walking down the street and a handful of nuns meeting Nietzsche and being like, which one of your books should we read? And he's like, my books are not for you. They're not. Don't, don't. I don't recommend reading any of them. They're not for you. Um, so I think that's, you know, probably a deeper reality that I'm just saying to myself that, um, you know, the, the things I say and I create, you know, I guess, I guess I'd like to be able to say that 
the same way he said it to uh, the similar pattern in my life. And then I, I was thinking a lot about patterns. And this is what inspired actually today's podcast. Now I'm remembering with pattern recognition is that Friedrich Nietzsche believed that life was about embracing it fully and having joy in that full embracement of life. You know, even all of the regrets and pains and mistakes and, and fish that got away and, you know, people that you might have hurt or lost or the grieving, the suffering, the highs, the lows. Nietzsche was all about embracing it so much, like to its fullest, and then asking yourself if you're willing to look at that life that you've had and embrace it so fully so joyfully with so much honor and respect to allow the pattern of it to repeat on and on for infinity it's kind of a deep question you know to to allow to allow so i was thinking a lot about in my life these patterns you know when i mention my little brother and I, we're both grown men now, you know. I'm old enough to be a granddad. I don't have grandkids, but I'm old enough to be one. I met a 41-year-old man once who was a granddad. I remember date going on a date once with a lady. She was 40 and she had grandchildren. And I was like, oh, dang. Like, you know, these young 40-year-olds are now grandparents, some of them, you know. So I'm, I'm old enough to be a granddad. I'm not a granddad, but, you know, I realize that I have to start vocalizing my wisdom. And wisdom is the combination of love and someone who seeks love through uh, learning, truth, you know, patterns. It's, it's like the, you know, it's what a philosopher is, you know. And I think, like, a wise old grandpa is, like, the combination of wisdom and love and philosophy. He's chasing love and wisdom. And, and teaching how, how, you know, the young ones can have love and wisdom. Um, that union, that marriage. Uh, so earlier I was just thinking about the patterns, you know, like when you spend part of your life in a shelter uh, and not in a home, and part of your life in cars, living out of cars as a child because you're escaping the shining and doing like, you know, unrehearsed, <laughs> unrehearsed, not even a suitcase packed, like, like running away from Jack Nicholson at some odd hour when you're nine or 10 and your little brother's in the baby car seat and, and, and there's a high speed chase to get away from what seems like you're all going to get murdered by Jack Nicholson. You know, when you're, when you're running away from that, it patterns your fight, flight, fight, flight, freeze system. It patterns other things that then domino effect from that system. And so, you know, I, I know that part of me living in a bus is similar to the ungroundedness of uh, living in a shelter or couch surfing or living in a car. I know that some of it's that, that pattern like a ring on a tree um and the wiser 
maybe the wiser, older, deeper of my of myself is, you know, I think part of wisdom is about um, having pattern recognition in order to create other patterns or new patterns or to um, experience liberation and freedom from what we might call conditioning, the way that Pavlov conditioned the saliva response in dogs. Pavlov then conditioned humans to not have empathy. I think much of my upbringing, one reason I'm writing the other N-word book, the book about narcissism, is I would say that I get it. Narcissism is really about the denial of feelings. And I had to deny my feelings a lot for, for all of my young adult years because I was hurting so much. And if I was honest about how much I was hurting, not just emotionally, you know, physically hurting because it's like they go together. So, um, you know, a lot of the patterning is, is, um, because of the conditioning and the conditioning is, you know, it's Pavlovian at this point where like, I don't, I don't even think that most people have empathy anymore. I would say that honestly, most people are psychopathic you know and that that's a difficult one to say out loud and to like to see that pattern you know that most people don't have empathy you might call that sociopathy i think that's most people now so of course it's rare uh to be seen eye to eye and not feared you know and not ignored <laughs> You know, uh, and not have to try or strive. Like, I'm going to try to like that person. I'm going to try to love them. I'm going to try to, you know, that's not natural, you know. Is a tree trying to grow or is it just growing? Is a tree, you know, next to the river that's flowing, is the river trying to flow or is it just flowing? You know, so a lot of the conditioning is just like even these two-dimensional environments, you know, the flat floor, the 90-degree square wall, and then the flat ceiling, and then the artificial light, and then the flat screen that's in the palm, which is a tiny one compared to the big one that's on the wall compared to the medium one that's on the table, uh, you know, the dark crystal. And then, then when you're holding that dark crystal to not even give a thumbs up or a heart sign, you know, that's pretty funny because it's sort of like love and like has been abstracted into these symbols the little heart sign the little thumbs up and that little that little thing goes deep like an acupuncture needle you know or like homeopathy but it's surprising that that even that has become too much even giving someone that much attention is like nope i'm gonna withhold that you know so you know, I think only a society that doesn't have empathy can en masse mask children and en masse inject all of the voiceless uh, with a uh, criminal cartel drug 
you know, but somehow we've intellectualized it and rationalized it that it's not similar to a drug cartel in Tijuana uh, wreaking havoc uh, on the people there. Somehow we can't make the connect the dots, you know. So that guy wandering the hills, connecting the dots of plants and flowers and meeting with grandmas and learning their recipes and secrets, somehow um, he's not considered even the expert. He'd be considered, you know, a Diogenes of today or a Friedrich Nietzsche of today, you know, because it's it's actually reality. Uh, and so, you know... I think one thing I do is I, I'm real. And that reality has its ups and its downs and its depression and its anxiety and its fears and its, you know, but I think I'm real. And um, so, I don't know. I'm outside, I'm walking around, I'm next to Rock Creek. Uh, I really appreciate... Uh, I really appreciate more than you know the ones that uh, like put their money where their mouth is. You know, that money is just like uh, currency isn't bad or good. It's just energy. You know, energy is power. It's how we channel it. It's how we can, you know, how we share it, give it. And, um, you know, they always say it's like it's currency. It's an energy. If you get it, if you give it, you get it, you know. So if you're giving the energy, you get the energy. It's not something to hoard and hold on to and store and all that. And and a lot of a lot of I think our problems in our current um, thing really come down to like uh, this very two dimensional flat nuclear family thing. With the you know comfortability is great. You know we need comfortability to be able to let go and rest at the end of the day and to to feel safety you know from the marauders and when the when the barbarians are at the gate but um the uncomfortable part i think you know the if everything really boils down to uh like the whole human condition really boils down like if we're going to talk about pattern recognition to uh seeking pleasure avoiding pain seeking pleasure avoiding pain that's pretty much all of the human experience is seeking pleasure avoiding pain um I think as as being as old as a grandpa at this point, you know, pain is inevitable. Pain pain is the thing we sort of ignore and want to do- deny and escape from, but I think it's okay for like children uh to not have wisdom about that human experience, but I think us adults have to have to uh start whether you're a yogi or a Christian or whatever you are, I think, I think the vocal cords, you know, I think, I think the vocal cords have to be, um, if you're, if you're one of the elders, really be looking out for the, the, the ones that don't have the voice, like the ones who had the flood of cortisol because their child was kidnapped and they don't have a voice or, or the children that are being masked, they don't have a voice or the employee at the grocery store who can't even speak up to their manager who's telling them to wear a mask. I mean, have you guys talked to employees at stores? The last store I was at was at Recreational Equipment Incorporated and, and it was really annoying being at REI, Recreational Equipment Incorporated in Billings, 
all the staff members wearing masks. This is after the mask mandates, you guys. This is right now. All of them, all of the employees are wearing masks. All of them. There's a sign at the door telling you you're not allowed to enter without one. And me and my friend Jennifer, if you're listening, we walked in there both not wearing masks and we were really the only customers in there and all the masked people kept helping us and it's annoying it's almost like go away that's so creepy so creepy and finally i flipped the script on my annoyance to try to be like kind to the guy who was trying to help us and i just basically said from my own i just expressed my own feelings and i just said man i was like i could never do that i said i did it i tried it I had a job where they were trying to mask us. I said, I lasted maybe a month. I was like, I just couldn't do it. I was like, I physically couldn't do it. You know, even if I wanted to, I physically couldn't. It's like my, like my physiology just couldn't do it. And he was like, oh man. He's like, I know. He's like, I'm so, he's like, all of us are just dying for this to end, you know? And he was like, I'm over it. I'm over it. And it's like, um, but that's the voiceless, you guys. That that guy wearing the mask can't speak up to his manager, you know, because it's tribal. It's tribal. The vaccines was a tribal initiation, and the masks were a tribal initiation. The the blue anon Biden freakazoids versus the cult forty five uh, cult of Trump. Both of those are mass psychosis of tribes. And the vax supremacy is tribal. The masks are tribal. So if you speak up against it, it's a supremacist movement. There aren't two sides and there hasn't been. One side was censored, banned. You, if you go on my Instagram, you can't even share my name. I'm incredibly censored and banned. And so is everybody who is not initiated in those uh, tribal rituals and the tribal ritual has become corporate pharmaceutical drug it's so freaky and it's so freaky that like you can't even talk about this stuff without offending people because the ones talking about it are silenced and banned to keep it all safe for community guidelines which is the deepest irony that the ones the ones who aren't taking part in the cult rituals are banned from even talking about it. So the tribal thing that I'm talking about isn't just me being pathetic, wanting a family or wanting, wanting a few friends. I have plenty of friends. I got enough family. You know, it's a deeper thing. It's like a deeper thing. Uh, and especially this last two and a half years, it's freaking crazy sauce. And it's especially crazy sauce, the ones that still have their head in the sand. Because communism, if we want to just call it communism and put a name on it, it eats the ones that were silent and it eats the ones that defended it. You know, so like it's coming, you know. If you're an ostrich with your head in your stand, your head in the sand, you're you're gonna get eaten by it. That the things that we're trying to, and so, how many people do you hear out there talk about wanting a farm, wanting to homestead with others and stuff? It's all such bullshit. It, the, the the reality of their words is like a mimic. It's like an echo from the story of Narcissus. 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 It's like the character Echo, who can only say the last thing she heard. 
Oh, I want to have a homestead. I want to have a farm. It's such bullshit. Such bullshit. Because that's an impossibility until these like deeper tribal tribal things happen. And I'm going to reach out to Jeff one of these days and ask him if I can interview about some of what he said about tribe because it was really important. So this has been a long podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed it, share it. Thanks for listening. Bye.